Alright, so we are in James 2 and a lot of really important stuff that I want to cover in here. But before I, I get going on this, before we start going into the Scriptures, one thing I, will, I just want to point out to you that you need to watch out for is you need to watch out for getting in arguments and debates online. Alright, like on Facebook and YouTube and things like that. Because one thing that you'll that is very common that you'll see in like an online argument where people get going back and forth with scriptures is, you know, you'll have that person, if you'll say you're talking about salvation and you're teaching a faith only salvation versus one of these work salvation clowns. Okay. Or, you know, repent of your sins, people. It's real easy in it when you're having an argument to take one verse and post it that says something that you like. And you can teach really any false doctrine. Okay, It's real easy to do that, but when you get in that kind of argument where you're just posting verses back and forth, you really can't win because if you actually were to do a subject justice, you would actually need to post the entire chapter or even more than a chapter. But we never do that. You know why? Because we all know that if the work salvationist posts one verse, and we post the whole chapter, nobody's going to read our comment, are they? Nobody's going to pay attention to that. So sometimes when you're, when you're with these online clouds, you just have to walk away. You really do just have to walk away from these people because you, just, you can't have an honest theological discussion just using one verse here, one verse there. You have to look at the entire passage, the context as a whole, and they are not going to do this with you, all right? They're just out there to spread doubt. They're out there to sow discord. And so if you do, if you get in an argument with them, you're just probably going to lose because, you know, they'll just, you know, you say, you know, you can't get saved by works. You know, it's faith only. And then they'll just go to James chapter 2 and verse 24. It says, you see, then how that by faith, or how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. You know, so right there, you know, they'll, they'll do that and then, you know, that's like their mic drop moment, right? But it's not a mic drop moment if you post not just all of chapter two, but even some of chapter one. If you do that, if you look at the context as a whole, if you do due diligence, if you look at context, you actually study it, then you're going to see there's a completely different story here. It's a completely different thing. So I want to show you uh, how you need to look at James 2 and um, show that there is nothing in James 2 that teaches the work salvation. There is nothing that hurts what we teach about salvation in James 2. Nothing whatsoever. So we got to remember, first we've got to remember where we left off in chapter 1. Because chapter 1 talked about the importance of enduring temptation because... That makes us more like Christ, which is our goal. Okay, He's talking to believers here. What is the goal of a believer? To get saved and go to heaven? No, but it's to be like Christ, isn't it? We want to be like Christ. And so these last two verses in James chapter 1, they're talking about pure religion or our religious practices. And they were talking about how they are vain if we don't do good works. If you... I'm come to this church and you sing all the right songs, you dress the right way, you got a King James Bible on your lap, but you don't have any good works, you accomplish nothing with that. If we have all the right doctrine in this church and we don't do the works, we accomplish nothing. If we have bad works, we accomplish nothing. 
doesn't matter. We can have the most perfect doctrinal statement. And if we don't even go soul winning, it's all in vain. It's so keep that in mind. That's what he's been talking about. He's talking to believers. He's not, and he's not trying, he's not even trying to tell believers in this passage how to get saved. He's trying to tell believers how to act. He's trying to tell believers how to be more like Christ. He's writing to seasoned believers trying to get these people fired up, trying to get them more like Christ. He's like the revival preacher coming through town, except he sends them a letter. He sends it to the twelve tribes scattered abroad. Copies of this probably went all over the place. And he said in verse 26, "...if any man among you seem to be religious, and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect to persons." Okay? So right here he's been talking about how you know you want to have that pure religion. If you don't, it's in vain. And so now he kind of is getting specific here on here's some things we need to see from you. Okay? And he's clearly talking to save people because of the fact that he said he's telling them, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus with respect to persons. He's telling them here, don't be a Christian who is a respecter of persons. He's challenging the believer just like we do here all the time. We don't teach a works-based salvation, but do we preach on works here? Yes, we do all the time. It's one of the reasons we have church to exhort one another so we can you know, provoke each other to love and to good works, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of great God and Savior Jesus Christ. We're trying as a group of believers to get more like Jesus Christ. That is the goal. That is the focal point, or it should be, of the believer. And so you know what? If we're going to do that, the last thing we need to be is a Christian, a saved person who has respect of persons. That is wrong. That is, uh, that is a shame when we do that. And we should not be partial. All souls are equal. It says in verse 2, "...for if there come into your assembly a man with a gold ring..." In goodly apparel, and there come in also a poor man in vile raiment. And ye have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing, and say unto him, Sit thou here in a good place. And say to the poor, Stand thou there, or sit here under my footstool. Are ye not then partial in yourselves, and are become judges of evil thoughts? Now this is a problem because treat, you know, this respect of persons thing, this is a very common thing for the carnal man, isn't it? Lost people. Are, you know they don't have a problem being respected persons. That's just what they do. They naturally do it. You don't have to teach them that. They just naturally do it. And yet, as a church, we say that we're more about spiritual things than the physical, right? We try to teach people to be more spiritual instead of carnal. So what we ought to do is we ought to you know look at people like souls. That that when we see somebody come through. We shouldn't be check, you know, trying to scope them out to see. All right, hey, this look person looks like they have money. You know, what kind of car did they drive? You know, look at the nice clothes. Hey, we need to treat these people good. We want them to keep coming so we can get their money. You know, what we ought to be doing is thinking: Are these people saved? Remember what the apostle Paul said: For I have determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He wanted to make sure people were saved. That should be the business that we're in: is getting souls saved. And if we're and the thing is, you all know this. And Jesus definitely would back this up. 
is it not easier to get a, a poor person saved than a rich person? Absolutely. So if we're really in the business of getting souls saved, then wouldn't our eyes light up when we see the guy with the vile raiment coming in? And and you know, and I've seen it, folks. I, I see it here in this church, and it's a blessing to me. I see it when the people come into the church that look like they're lost. I see some of the faces of the soul winners around here. They're always the first ones trying to talk to them after the church, trying to ask them if they're saved. You know, they don't do it as much, you know, when the people in the gay clothing come in. All right, not the skinny jeans, but you know the you know the happy clothing, you know, well dressed people. You know, I, I I see that. That's good. Okay, we talk about the, a lot of times the difference between the old IFB and the new IFB. You know, the old IFB they're driving through a rich neighborhood. On you know, this looks like a good soul winning area. You know. New IFB, we're driving through the slums of the poor areas. Like, oh, this area is probably really receptive. You know, our eyes light up when we see those poor areas. Our kids have done that before. When we've been in other towns and driving through ghettos, they're like, oh, this looks like good souling territory. What? You know, that that's what we see because that's the business that we're in is getting souls saved. And so, for a church to be a respecter of persons, for Christians to be a respecter of persons, that's a shame, isn't it? That shows that they have forgot why they're there. They have forgot what they're all about. We know that it's easier to get poor people saved than rich people saved. And yet, many churches today, they cater to the rich. They give extra attention to the rich. They neglect the poor. That is wrong when that type of thing happens. Don't be somebody with the faith of Jesus Christ and be a respecter of persons. You will embarrass the cause of Christ when you do that. You will embarrass our church when you do that, God has chosen the poor of this world, yet some people treat the poor the way the lost world treats the poor. Verse 5 says, Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom which He hath promised to them that love Him? But ye have despised the poor, the people who God chose. Chosen people. Alright? Chosen first out, you know, more likely to be saved. Okay? Those are the ones, and think about this too, alright? Let me chase a little rabbit here. Okay? You know, what is it in the Beatitudes? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Do you know, you could say that you need to be poor to be saved. At least poor in spirit. Because what's, what's wrong with the rich person? Why do they have such a hard time? They're high minded, they're so stuck on themselves. But a person who is truly repentant in the biblical sense, a person who truly realizes that they're a sinner, they will realize they have nothing to offer God. Rich people often struggle with that. But a, but a person can be rich and have that poor in spirit attitude. But if they don't have that, they're not going to get saved. Just like you don't have to be a child to be saved, but you do have to come as a child, don't you? And when a person gets saved, they do need to come like a poor man begging for bread. That's exactly what they need to do. Rich people struggle with that. So, but those are the people who God chose. Who's going to have a hard? Who's going to have a harder time coming like a poor man, the bum on the street, or Donald Trump? Okay, it's yeah. Donald Trump's going to struggle with that, all right? I mean, you might like what he's doing as a president and everything, but let's just admit it, he struggles with humility, okay? <laughs> he's, got, he's got a little problem there. I don't think anybody doubts that. But, you know, as he would say, you'd struggle too if you were as great as I am. <laughs> but that's, that was a terrible impersonation. I'll have to work on that one. But, 
says, But ye have despised the poor, do not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seats? Do not they blaspheme that worthy name by the which ye are called? If ye fulfill the royal law according to the Scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, ye do well. This is what a Christian ought to be doing. We ought to be loving our neighbor. We ought to be loving the poor. We ought to be looking out for them. Because remember, the goal is to be like Christ. Jesus Christ, I mean, He left heaven to come to this earth. Jesus Christ lived as a poor man. Jesus Christ, He ministered to the poor. He ministered to the sinners and the publicans and the harlots. He did all those things. So, if we here we are as a church, here we are as a body of believers claiming to be followers of Jesus Christ and then we treat the poor like garbage? How is that us having the faith of our Lord Jesus? That is a shame to the cause of Christ when we have that attitude. So we got to make sure we keep our attitude right. We don't want to be like the blasphemers that it mentioned there. And so, verse 8, you know, he mentions loving thy neighbors thyself. And then in verse 9, he says, But if ye have respect to persons, ye commit sin and are convinced of the law as transgressors. Okay, now I want you to get this right here. This is kind of another side note. This here is another example of people taking one passage that they like what it says and then running with it and teaching a doctrine that does not fit the entire Bible. Okay? You can take one verse to prove a point as long as your interpretation of it lines up with the rest of the Bible. But if it doesn't line up with the rest of the Bible, that's when you need to back up and look at some context and say, wait, am I missing something here? Because I'm going to show you what people do with these verses right here to teach a, a very foolish, stupid doctrine. But they got their verse for it. And when you're having your Facebook argument, they're going to throw this one at you and it's going to look good. And once again, you can post the whole chapter, but nobody's going to read it. No, nobody's going to care because they're too stinking lazy. So look what it says. If, you can, if, you, if you're a respecter of persons, ye commit sin and are convinced of the law's transgressors. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. For he that said, do not commit adultery, said also, do not kill. Now if thou commit adultery, yet if thou kill, thou art become a transgressor of the law. So, this is where people get the teaching that all sins are equal. This is where this is where they get it from that all sins are equal. There's no one sin that's worse than the other. You know why are you guys always picking on the homos, but you don't pick on this group. Thing like you know, all sins are equal. That's what they like to bring up. Even the trendies. If they preach against homosexuality, and they still pretty much have to. If you're a Baptist and you're a trendy. You still, if you want to continue your deception and your infiltration, you have to let the words come out of your mouth that homosexuality is a sin. They probably aren't going to say abomination, but they will say it's a sin. But before they can even finish saying that sentence, they're already going to be on their next sentence. But you know what? I'm a sinner too. You know, I'm a, I'm a sin. You know, I mean, you know, we all struggle with lust, and you know, I mean, that's a sin. You know. And you know, so yes, homosexuality is a sin, but so is this, and so is that, and you know, and it's like they want to just calm down. All right, we're all sinners, and so that thinking though that all sins are equal, this is why they will allow homos in their churches. This is how they're justifying 
trying to bring homos into the church is like, well, if we're going to throw the homos out, don't we got to throw everybody else out too? That's the kind of reasoning they'll do. I, but is that what this is teaching right here? Is that what he's okay? What he's teaching right here is that all sins make you a transgressor of the law. Okay, but that doesn't make all sins equal. All sins will make you guilty of being a sinner and in need of a Savior, but not all sins are equal. Otherwise, why did God prescribe the death penalty for some things and lashes for other things, you know, restitution for other things? You know, there, there's different punishments for different things. Why? Because not all sins are equal. This passage is just teaching us that all sins make us a transgressor of the law. So don't let people use this passage to prove all sins are equal. That is not what this is teaching. That is not what's in their head. He's been, and he's been talking in here about how you, know, you have the faith of Jesus Christ. There are certain things that you ought to do. And when you don't do these things, all right, when you fail to do these things, you are sinning. Okay? This is a bad thing for you to do. Don't do these things. And he says in verse 12, he says, So speak ye, and so, and so do as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. Okay? They want to stop reading verse 11, but then they don't want to keep reading to find out. Because wait a minute, he's not done with this thought here. He's still got more to say uh, about what's going on. Okay, so, so what does it mean to be judged by the law of liberty? You know, what does that mean? Verse 13, For he shall have judgment without mercy that hath showed no mercy, and mercy rejoiceth against judgment. Alright? So, what does it mean to be judged by the law of liberty? Well, would it be a law of liberty if I commit a sin or if and I, I will, if I commit a sin, I'm going to go to hell. Think about that. You know, if if we if any sin that we did as a believer meant we were going to go to hell, would we have liberty? Would there is, is there any liberty in that? Absolutely not. Okay. Now, I don't want to I don't want to go into another message. I've preached this before. I'm probably going to do a whole radio program on this subject. I preached on it a while back again, but I just feel like saying more about this. And I think it'd be a good one to do on the radio. But people are always talking about how we're not under the law, but under grace, as if that applies to everybody on the planet. Listen, that only applies to those who are saved. If you are not saved, you are under the law. End of story. When you, if you are a sinner, okay, when a per, these, these dispensationalists, they're like, you know, we're not, you know, we're in the age of grace now, okay? And you know that was under the law, like before Christ. No, if you if these same dispensationalists say they're sinners, okay, you're a sinner according to what? Okay, sin is a transgression of the law. What law? That's talking about the Old Testament. Okay, you have violated the Old Testament law. Therefore, you are a sinner. Okay, now if I'm saved, I'm under grace, right? So, here's the thing. If I'm under grace, am I a sinner anymore? Actually, I'm not. Not, not under grace. Okay? I am going to be judged, but according to the law of liberty. I am still, 
I, you know, I'm because if you call me a sinner, well, based on what? Well, the Old Testament law. Well, I'm not under the law. I'm under grace. I'm going to heaven no matter what. I'm going to heaven. I am justified. I am just as if I've never sinned because I've received the imputed righteousness of Christ. Now, when I sin on this earth, whenever I do commit things that are sins, those things are according to the Old Testament law. There are earthly consequences for those things, but in the eyes of God, I'm clean, right? And, and, and you all know this, but I say all this to say there is a difference between the believer who sins and the lost person that sins. That lost person who sins, they will go to hell for that sin. Okay? You and I, though, we are at liberty. But are we supposed to take advantage of that liberty? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. Now, is it possible for us to do that? Absolutely it's possible for us to do that. But should we do that? Should we have the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ and be continuing in sin? God forbid. We should not do that. So, because we are judged by that law of liberty, you know, as a believer, I'm capable of disobeying the law, but I'm also capable of obeying it. It says in James 1.25, says, But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Okay? Does it say we'll be saved if we do it? No, we'll just be blessed. Okay? So when I look at the Bible, this is not a do this or go to hell. That's not what it is for me. It's the law of liberty. I can mess up, but you know what? When I don't, when I do right, I'll be blessed when I do that if I will be a doer and not a forgetful hearer. Okay? If I'm not one who just listens, but I do, it's not saying I'll go to heaven, but I will be blessed. So do you see the clear difference? There, between somebody who's judged according to the law of liberty versus those who are judged according to the law of the Old Testament, there's a big difference right there. And it's that law of the Old Testament that makes man a sinner, and the only way you're going to get, you know, get out of that is by getting saved. Okay? So, if I'm not a faithful hearer, I will be judged in this earth. I'll miss out on blessings. You know, the trendies are trying to eat, act like, you know, we don't need to ask God for forgiveness. You know, all God sees is Jesus. Just nothing but blessings are going to come your way. You know, no, God's still going to deal with us as children on this earth. You know, we're not going to receive the blessings if we're a bad Christian. So, keep all that in mind. And so, for he shall have judgment without mercy that showed no mercy, and mercy rejoiceth against judgment. What doth it profit, my brethren? Though a man say he hath faith and have not works, can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Okay? And so this is that famous passage that Everybody gets mixed up on. If you just take this passage all by itself, yeah, you can make this about salvation. I mean, the word save is in there. But think about this. Since we've been in chapter 1, since the end of chapter 1, 
It's been talking about what we need to do to be profitable to other people. Okay? Pure religion, undefiled, you know, visiting the fatherless. I mean, keeping yourself unspotted from the world. We're supposed to be doing things for other people. We are not supposed to be a respecter of persons. We ought to be being a blessing to the poor. We shouldn't be despising the poor. We need to be helping other people. It's going on and on about all these things we're supposed to do for other people, but yet when it says, can faith save Him, all of a sudden we're talking about ourselves. And then in the very next verse, if a brother or sister, now we're talking about other people again. So it's like for this entire chapter, and even before we got into chapter 2, it's talking about what we do and how it affects other people. Then all of a sudden, when we get to 14, it's talking about us. And then when we get to 15, and the rest of the passage, it's talking about other people again. No, the whole thing's talking about other people. Okay, If I want to be a help to other people, if somebody is naked and destitute of daily food, can your faith save him? Not if it doesn't have works, it can't. You say, well, save. See, here's the thing, other thing you don't understand as Americans, too. We don't see people who are truly hungry in this country. Alright? Those bums out on the street corners holding their signs, they don't count. Okay? Most of them can stand to lose a few pounds. Alright? They're doing just fine. Okay? If somebody really is malnourished, to the point like you know the Bible's talking about, like many people are in other parts of the world, do you think our hospitals aren't going to take care of them? I mean, if some bums passed out, what are they going to do? They're going to take them to a hospital and they're going to nurse that person back to health. People in our country are fed. We don't even understand, okay? We can't, we, it's hard for us to even imagine saving somebody's life by giving them food. We, we have a tough time even imagining that, you know? Naked in our country, that's just what people do. <laughs> I mean, it's just, uh, we, we, don't even, you know, notice, we don't even notice that. But what it's teaching here, it, you know, it, first, it's, it's of utmost importance that we remember, God remember everything we've been talking about, everything this whole book has been about so far, and it's been stressing the importance of pure religion. He just told them not to have the faith of Jesus with respect to persons, and he's talking about being a good and profitable Christian. And being a doer and not just a hearer. That's what he said in chapter 1. Be a doer and not just a hearer. Don't be somebody who comes to this church and you hear all the good stuff and you do absolutely nothing with it. What good are you going to do yourself? What good are you going to do anybody else if you come here and you get all this good information and you do nothing with it? It's like all these people who listen to preaching online all day long and they just do nothing with it. They don't go soul winning. If they ever do go to a church, it's only to stir up trouble and tell them where everything that they've got wrong. They do absolutely nothing. They're just a hearer and not a doer. Some of the mouthiest people in the world that you see online, I mean, these people are struggling in their marriages. Their families are a wreck. Some of them can't even keep a job. I mean, they're just worthless bums. They're hearers. They hear everything, but they're not doers. And they're only deceiving themselves. The rest of us see right through it. We're not impressed with these people one bit. So he's been talking about this, and we, and once again, we're not talking about salvation here. See, because with all faith, and I've said this before, with all faith, there has to be works. Okay, with all faith, there has to be works. But when it comes to our salvation, our faith is not in our works, but it is in the work of Jesus Christ. 
Okay? Faith without works is dead. Amen. I agree 100%. So if you say, well, where's, you know, okay, you say you have faith, well, where's your works? I'll tell you exactly where my works are. I'm going to point to the cross of Calvary. That's where my works are. They're at the, the cross of Calvary. Jesus Christ, my high priest, did all the work on my behalf. I'm trusting in His work to get me to heaven and not my own work. We have been commanded to do that. To trust in the work of Jesus Christ. To believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. So yes, faith without works is dead, but your works are filthy rags in the sight of God. And so your works will not get you saved. But let me tell you something. Jesus' work on the cross won't feed anybody. Jesus' work on the cross is not going to put clothes on anybody's back. You have to do that. Jesus' work on the cross is not going to build this church. You all have got to do something about that. You've got to be out there knocking the doors. You've got to be faithful to the house of God. Jesus' work on the cross did everything it needed to save our souls and to make up for all the areas where we lack. But anything else, literally anything else that we want to get accomplished as believers, it requires our works. So, when James is talking about faith without works being dead here, he's absolutely right. But because we often use the word faith with our salvation and the word save with salvation, that doesn't mean every time you see those words in the Bible that it's talking about for salvation. Because that certainly is not what we've been talking about so far in the book of James. Has anybody seen anything in the book of James telling us how to be saved? Telling people they need to get saved? Telling people to check their salvation? That's not what we've talked about at all. He's talking to believers here, no doubt. And he's telling them not to have the faith of Jesus and have respect to persons. Don't be have the faith of Jesus and be committing sin and doing wrong. Don't have the faith of Jesus. Don't, be, say, don't go telling people you have faith when you don't have any works. That is something that needs to be preached all the time. And it is preached all the time in church. I'm glad you know that you're supposed to read your Bible. But you know what? I'm glad you have faith that reading your Bible is the right thing to do. But you know what? If you don't have the works, if you don't read your Bible, you're not going to learn anything. I'm glad you have the faith that, you know, and you have, it's, it's your faith, it's your belief that a Christian ought to go to church. But if you don't have the works, it won't do you a bit of good. You better come to church. I'm glad you believe and you agree that the first step of obedience after salvation is getting baptized. But if you don't do the work, you accomplish nothing with your belief. But I will also say, if you want to go to heaven, I'm glad you have faith, but boy, if it's on your works, you're not going to heaven. You're going to come short of the glory of God if your salvation is about your works. Your faith in that situation better be on Jesus Christ and on His works. So I don't know how to make it any more clear than that. I mean, it's 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 real clear. I mean, it's if you just look at context. So the faith that saved me is not a dead faith because Jesus Christ ever liveth to make intercession. That's what the Bible says. He ever lived to make intercession for me. But my faith that God will save other souls is a dead faith if I don't go out and go souling. So, you know, this fits perfect with what we believe. Look at verse 14. 
or verse 15, if a brother, or we already read uh, through 17. So, uh, verse 18 says, Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God. Thou doest well, the devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, o vain man, that faith without works is dead? Alright, now let me ask you this. Because they often go to this. Right there, says thou believest that there is one God. We had somebody that came here one time. And he brought that verse up. You know, the Bible says, Thou believest that there is one God, the devils also believe and tremble. Okay? So now the plan of salvation, the way you get saved, is believing that there is one God? Well, that's real good news. That's good news for the Muslims. That's real good for the Jehovah's Witnesses and not the Mormons. They believe in a whole bunch of gods. You know, that's good for uh, good news for uh, you know the Oneness Pentecostals, the Tyler Carians. You know, I mean, that's real good news for all those people, right? Um, wait, no. What gets us saved is faith in the work of Jesus Christ. Okay, there's no place in the Bible where it tells us the way to salvation is you must believe in one God. It doesn't even specify which God it is. Okay? So, is this talking about salvation? Okay? It, no, it's not talking about salvation. Yet the word salvation crowd, all of a sudden they make that about salvation whenever they're reading, when they're, whenever they're reading that passage. What is it saying here? It's just saying if your belief doesn't produce any works, it's not doing any good. Okay, great. Yes, there is only one God. Congratulations. You got that one right. Let me see some works. Oh, you believe in the Trinity. Great. Congratulations. Let me see some works. You believe in soul winning. Wonderful. Let me see some works. All right. I'm glad you've got all these things down, but you're telling me you have faith. You have faith that you know God can... Or, uh, feed this hungry person, that you have faith that this person can be clothed, great! Let's see some works. He has not changed the subject here to salvation. It's still the same subject. And it, it's just, once again, faith without works is dead. So you can talk all you want about faith, but you should show your faith with works. Okay? And... So, but not when it comes to salvation. When it comes to salvation, though, okay, when we are telling people about our faith, we actually do talk about works, don't we? But we just talk about His works. We talk about the works of Jesus Christ. Not our works. Okay? But everything else, okay, everything else, you know, you can talk about your faith, but you know what? Why don't you show it to me by your works? That's how I know you really have faith when you have the works, faith in other things. So, verse. Um, turn over to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15 and verse 5. Cause note, so, while you're there, I'm going I'm to read verse 21. It says, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar. Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect. And the Scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, 
And he was saved. No. And he was called a friend of God. Okay? Now let me show you something here that's very important. So in Genesis chapter 15, in verse 5, says, And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. And he believed God, he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. This is when Abraham, I believe, was 75, I think. How old was Isaac when he was born? Or how old was Abraham when Isaac was born? I'm sorry. He was 100, right? Like 25 years later now, how old was Isaac when Abraham went to sacrifice? Now, we don't know for sure. But, you know, we're, we're talking at least 35, 40 years later. Okay? From when Abraham got saved to when Abraham offered up his son Isaac upon the altar. Okay? So, clearly he got saved way back then. Later, he offered his son Isaac upon the altar. What story are we talking about here in James 2? We're talking about when he offered up his son Isaac upon the altar. Okay? Now, Abraham believed God and got saved. He had faith that God was going to multiply his seed as the stars of heaven. He did that way back when, when he was in his 70s. But years later, we see that he did this great act of faith. This great work of faith in offering his son Isaac upon the altar. Okay, Now, nobody in the world thinks that that's when Abraham got saved. Nobody thinks that. But what happened when Abraham offered his son Isaac upon the altar? You know what? He was called the friend of God. Okay, And remember, last on Sunday night when we were in verse 1, we were talking about temptation and how God will never tempt you with evil. Okay, But God did tempt Abraham, but it was not with evil. In fact, God tempt, He tempted Abraham with something he was able to relate to, offering up his only son. Because Abraham was able to do this and succeeded in doing this, even though he was going to do this, proved that he was going to do it, that caused a connection between him and God like you and I will never understand. That's why he was called the friend of God. Okay, Those two had something very close in common. Most people who are friends, it's because of things that they have in common. The more you have in common, a lot of times the better you get along with those people. And this was a very unique thing that God and Abraham had in common. And so he was called the friend of God. Why? Because he was his faith that he had was justified by works. Okay, So, notice though how it mentions... It mentions when Abraham got saved. It mentions, it says, and the Scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. So we see that while Abraham got saved way back then, you know what we see with Abraham years later? Abraham had works, didn't he? And is that not what we are supposed to do as Christians? You know what? If you're saved, great. But you know what? I hope you can. I hope your faith is made perfect, okay, or complete. I hope after you get saved, you have some works that you do something for God. That's something that we all ought to strive for in our life. It's something that we ought to have. And so I've been justified by faith, but that's through the work of Jesus Christ. I'm saved. But you know what? Now 
I want to be justified to God by faith through the works that I do. I want to please God with the works that when I talk about how I have faith, if I'm praying to God and say, you know, Lord, I'll do anything for you. You know, Lord, I want to serve you. You know what? I hope I will be justified by actually doing the works. Actually doing an act of faith. That's but that's a separate thing. Okay? We're not talking to lost people here, tell them how to get saved. We're talking to saved people, trying to tell them how they can be more like Christ. Trying to show them how they can move on and do better, uh, do better things. So Abraham was justified by works, proving he feared God when he offered up his son Isaac. That, and that was a great act of faith. You can say that you fear God, but you know what? Show me your works. You can say that you fear God, but then you do all kinds of wickedness. You know, behind closed doors. You know what? Your faith is vain. I don't believe your faith that you have when you're not doing the works. Faith that brings salvation is without works, but after salvation, God wants us to have works to be complete. God wants us to perfect the love of God. Okay? That talks about that in 1 John. Uh, I think it's in 1 John. We're talking, Verily is love of God perfected. Okay? Whenever, and what that means is, Whenever we take that love that God has given us and then we get show love to someone else, the love of God is perfected. Okay? It, it reproduced. That's what God wants to happen. But if God shows me love and then I don't show love to other people, do I now not have the love of God? Did I lose the love that God had? No. But did I perfect the love of God? I absolutely did not. Not if I don't show love to other people. Okay? And when God saved me, okay, I'm saved. Bible's clear I can't lose that salvation. But if I don't have, ever have any works, okay, am I being perfected then? Is my faith being perfected? No, I need to have works. And that's why we are always going to shout from the housetops, hey, salvation is without works. But after you get saved, folks, it's time to get some works. Time to do something with with your salvation. You know, accomplish something for God. Show that you actually have faith. You know, let let the you know the work that Jesus gave you on the cross that He did for us on the cross. That's done. But now it needs to be perfected. Now we need to take that. All right, good. We're saved. Now let's go do some works ourselves. That is the goal. That's something we ought to do. So. Look at well. So Abraham, he was saved when he believed God would multiply his seed. But Abraham became the friend of God when he had the works. So God's goal for us is to be justified by both. All right, justified for salvation by the work of Jesus Christ. But then we're justified to God that we have faith in whatever when we have the works. So Abraham is a great example of faith. But then look what after it talks about Abraham, okay? Now I had a Calvinist explain it to me this way one time. He was talking about now Abraham, right here what it's doing. This is he was telling me this was talking about salvation. Abraham, he showed the greatest example, you know, that's the greatest example in the Bible of faith and works. I mean, cuz offering your son Isaac, you know, his son Isaac was a great work, wasn't it? But then Rahab, remember what Rahab did? All she did was put a scarlet cord out the window. So that means you do have to have some works. Even, even if it's just a little bit, it counts. There's got to be some works 
In other words, repentance. You know, that is, is what he says. But let's read this. It says, in verse 25, Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way. For as the body without the Spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Oh, no, wait. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? So yeah, Abraham, the greatest act of faith anyone's ever seen, the greatest work anyone's ever seen. And then Rahab. All she did was stuck a cord out the window. Okay? Maybe the Calvinists have something there. Boy, doesn't that kind of make sense? And doesn't that sound good? You know, we got those two examples, one great and one small. But here's the thing. Turn over to Joshua chapter 2 and verse 9. So let me read this again. Verse 25. Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way. Okay? Now turn over to Joshua chapter 2. So, what did they tell her if she wanted to be, if she wanted to be spared you know, dying with the rest of them in Jericho, they told her to put that scarlet cord out the window, right? They said, everyone that's in your house will be saved. And so she did. She received the spies. She did what she was supposed to do. Uh, you know, just like, just like they had said. Thus proving to the spies that she was on the right side. Proving to Israel that she was good. Alright? But here's the thing. When did she get saved? Okay? Now the Bible does not spell out or tell us exactly, you know, say this is the moment when Rahab the harlot got saved. Alright? Now we know when she got saved from dying in Jericho. Alright? You know, because we read that story, but when did her soul get saved? Let's look at, let me just show you this in Joshua 2. Because did she get saved when the spies came? Or was it before they came? Well, look what it says in Joshua 2, verse 9. Um, I'm in Judges. It's like that didn't look right. Joshua, chapter 2, verse 9. And she said unto the men, I know that the Lord hath given you the land, and that your terror has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when ye came out of Egypt, and what ye did unto the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side of Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom ye utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts did melt, neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, He is the God in heaven above and in the earth beneath, now therefore I pray you, swear unto me by the Lord, since I have showed you kindness, that you will also show kindness unto my father's house, and give me a true token, and that you will save alive my father and my mother and my brethren and my sisters and all that they have, and deliver our lives from death. Was Rahab a believer? You better believe she was a believer. When did she get saved? It was, it was whenever she heard about what God was doing in Egypt. When she heard about how God opened up the Red Sea, you know what? She believed God. I know that you all serve the one true God. She clearly believed God. She clearly had faith. Was she there when the Red Sea opened up? No. But you know what? She heard about it and she believed it. She believed God and I believe it was accounted unto her for righteousness. And so here when the spies come, what is she pleading for? Is she pleading for her soul? or for her life and the life of her family. Her life and the life of her family. 
she's already believed God. She's already she's already trusted that you know that the God of Israel is the one true God. She has already believed in Him, and it said, and then verse fifteen says, then she let them down by a cord through the window, for her house was upon a town wall, and she dwelt upon the wall. And so we know she ended up putting that scarlet cord out there. And what what did that do? All right, you know what it did? It justified her to the spies. It justified her to Joshua. It showed that, hey, you know what? This is a woman of faith. This is someone who believes God. And you know what? Rahab, she ended up marrying, I believe it was Salmon. And you know what? She is in the line of Christ. She is the great, 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 great grandmother of Jesus Christ. So, you know, you to take James 2 and say you know, that she was saved, no, that's... Sorry. Okay? She was already saved. She was already a believer. But you know what? She was justified. She proved to others. She proved to God when she had the works. And yes, it was a very small work. But that was, but her putting that cord out the window is not what got her saved. Her sending out the spies another way, that is not what got her saved. She believed God and that is what got her saved. So, you know, that's what we what we need to learn from this is that we are believers. We need to be doing something. We need to be having some works. We were not saved by works. Okay, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves; it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, unto good works that God hath before ordained, that we should walk in them. What God, God's will for a person who has been saved by the work of Jesus Christ is for that person to end up perfecting that work by going and then doing some works themselves. That is the goal for a believer, but you're in big trouble when you think that the works are what save you. They are not what save you. And so we need a church that are full of people who've not only been justified by faith, but a church full of people who are complete and who are constantly being justified by works. I want to have a church full of people of faith. But you know what? We need to see that faith. I can't see what's in your heart. And you know what? I can hear what comes, you know, I can hear what comes out of your mouth. But that doesn't do anything either. We need to see the work. So right there, that's James chapter 2. Absolutely nothing in there teaching a faith plus works salvation. It's still a faith only salvation. So let's pray. Dear Lord, thank You so much for Your goodness to us, Lord. We thank You for doing all the work for us when it comes to our salvation. But dear God, I pray now that we will uh, take that work that You did, Lord, and that we will uh, accept that gift of salvation and then do something Lord, with it, I pray that we will perfect those works, that we'll do more works, that we'll uh, perfect Your love, we'll show love, we'll do all these things that You commanded us in the book of James so we will be profitable, so we will uh, accomplish great things for others and for the cause of Christ. In Your name we pray. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand.